Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Chats with Cat on the Voice of Adoptees podcast. I am your host, Cat. I hope you've all had a wonderful week so far. Don't forget to grab your coffee, hot apple cider, or a preferred beverage of your choice and settle on in. So today I am currently here with Anya, who is a writer. She has a book entitled You Can Overcome Anything with Forgiveness that is currently on the shelves. Be sure to pick yourself up a copy. And so, yeah, Anya, let's get right on into it. Introduce yourselves to people who are listening right now. Hi, everybody. My name is Anya. It's very nice to meet you all. I'm very glad to get my story out and get started. Yay. So talk to us a little bit about your adoption story and your adoption journey. Okay. So yes, I have been adopted more than once, I hate to say, but uh, yes. So my first time, I am actually from St. Petersburg, Russia. I got adopted when I was three and a half years old from the orphanage. When I was born, my mom was in prison. Um, So that's where she had me. And then my grandmother took me in. um, But unfortunately, she was not able to keep me just because I had a lot of medical issues such as a cleft palate and hearing problems. And so they wouldn't allow her to keep me as much as she wanted to. So she put me in an orphanage to give me a better life here in America. And yeah, I was adopted when I was three and a half years old at first. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. Three is a really young age and sometimes not everyone remembers very specific details. Now, are these details that you remember or are these details that you found through like documents maybe you found or information? Um, I actually, back in 2013, I had already known um, some of my story, such as like my grandmother, because she had been writing to me for all these years, but I had wanted to kind of dive a little bit further into my background Mm -hmm. and my history. So I had found somebody that was able to do that for me, private investigator kind of thing. And he, I had the address that I lived in. With my grandmother, I had my parents' names, my grandmother's name. So I had all like the information at hand. And he was able to kind of track down and see what happened and kind of dive into that a little bit more deeper. Yeah. So like, what was that whole process like for you? Um, It was pretty crazy. Originally, I had lost touch with my grandmother due to just going through homes, a couple homes. And so I'd lost touch with her and wanted to find her again because her love for me was just so strong. And you could tell in the letters. And um, I had remembered her from when I was young. And that was just, that was my ultimate goal was to be able to see her again one day or to you know, see her possibly again one day. And unfortunately, the story did end up really sad. And I found out most of my family had died, including her. My birth mom died in prison and a lot of my family members. And so that was very unfortunate. And the way he was able to find out this information, the neighbor that had lived next door to us in the apartment was actually still there living there 
and he had run into her and she had remembered me as a little child and was good friends with my grandmother. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just very, again, it's very interesting, you know, being a host and just hearing so many other people's stories. I always think that I can't get more shocked than the last story, but everyone seems to always just surprise me. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so when you, oh God, I can only imagine the emotion that you must have felt finding out about your family and their death, you know, like talk to me about that. Walk me through that. What was that like for you before we get into the story of the different homes you were in? Devastating with, with my grandmother, it, it was devastating. You know, I, I was heartbroken because, you know, she, it was told that she lived, she tried to live a very healthy lifestyle in order to see me again one day. That was her objective in life because I meant the world to her. And the letters I would read would be like my dearest, sweetest Anya. And, you know, it was just heartbreaking um, to know that she never was able to do so again because she had already lived such a tragic life in Russia. It was even too hard for her to talk about a lot of the things that she went through growing up and then losing her own daughter and then her only granddaughter. It was devastating. My father, I'm so unsure about, but both my parents were in prison and they had tuberculosis. And back then, I was born in 1992, they did not have the proper medications and treatment, especially in prison facilities, for them to get treated and get help for that. So most of the people that got sick you know, they didn't make right. it. So, yeah. So I wasn't too surprised about about that at all. I figured that was pretty much how that was going to end. But my grandmother was definitely heartbreaking. Yeah. And sometimes it's interesting because we, it, it varies among like adoptees. Some adoptees feel like they're very close to their biological family, even though they hadn't met them. For you, it was more of the connection to your grandmother because she obviously put in a lot of effort to try to, one, find you, two, keep in contact with you as well. So, you know, um, it's always very, right. very like devastational. So, because sometimes with your story, you mentioned that you had gone through a few homes. Yes. So is it okay that we kind of talk about that? You know, I know that there are other yes. adoptees uh, that are uh, that are familiar with the foster care system. And, you know, I, I think it would be good to kind of shed more light on it in your experience. Definitely. So unfortunately, it, it started to become almost like this, this normal thing, especially for some reason, a lot of us kids that got adopted over here from Russia, a lot of children that got adopted into the USA or wherever ended up in abusive homes. And in my case, that was the situation. I had a video of when I met my Amer- soon-to-be American family for the first time in the orphanage in Russia. And in the video, you see me, and I run up to my soon-to-be father and hug him. 
and I run up to my soon-to-be brother. He was just a few years older than me, and I hug him. And then you see this tension brewing between me and my soon-to-be mother. And I think, I guess you could say it was a child's intuition. Her and I did not bond. We didn't really. Mm -hmm. And that was the kind of start of it. And so I came over here to California, where I first lived. And one of my very first memories, like vivid memories of arriving to the house, I didn't know too much English. I knew a little bit, but not a lot, you know, and I was three and a half. And I remember my mother on a ladder, you know, they were still kind of finishing up parts of my room and she was trying to ask me something and I wasn't grasping what she was saying. And she got just very mad and she just came swinging down and ended up slapping me in the face. And from there, it was just downhill. A lot of abuse, physical abuse. I I had to stay in my room, you know, when I was at the house. Like a lot of children, they'll have memories of, you know, being able to grab a snack from the kitchen, sitting on the couch, watching TV, going outside and playing. And for my brother, he was treated normally, you know, he was their birth child and he got to do all that. But in my case, I would listen as the family were together downstairs watching a show or, you know, whatever. And then I just grew up being really scared of like, I would always be very quiet and looking down every time I was around my mom because I was afraid to look up or say the wrong thing or, you know, so it was just a very unhealthy, abusive environment. And I dealt with that for six years. I completely understand that. I know what it's like to walk on eggshells basically around a a parent, especially when it's like, you know, they're supposed to be the people who are like protecting you. And, you know, they, you know, you look to a parent as not only like an authority figure, but kind of as like a supportive figure. And when you don't necessarily receive that, when you don't necessarily receive that, it, it affects you moving forward. A few things. When this was going on uh, during the time, you, I mean, I feel like it's only obvious to the adopted child that this is happening because you are not birthed from your parents. It's, you're obviously not blood, you're not related. So, you know what I mean? I I, I can only imagine how heavy that must have felt for you being in this situation and experiencing that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, the question to myself was, what is wrong with me? You know, why, what am I doing wrong? And I would just, I would try so hard every day to just be, you know, perfect, try to like, not make the wrong move or, you know, but in, in that situation, I, you know, I wish I could go back to my younger self and be like, it's not you, yes. honey. Like, I mean, there's nothing you can do when, when you're in that situation. And that's just unfortunate. Yeah. You know, and that's the bit of wisdom that we either do or do not learn throughout our lives. 
And we'll touch more on that later because I, I feel right. like this would be a really good transition for other other discussions that we can have. Did you ever develop resentment for your like towards your family, towards your adoptive mom and dad and brother? I I did. And kind of moving into that, I did for a little bit. I was a lot younger. It's when when they had given me up, they had basically said that it was it was me, that I was a difficult child, even though the truth that was told to them by my therapist was she's getting old enough to talk. Mm-hmm. And so I was about, I had just turned nine years old and they had gotten a couple of complaints and authorities coming to the house. You know, I had family members, I had school teachers call CPS and nothing was ever done about it. And so my therapist was really like, you know, she's she's getting old enough to talk. So you either give her up for adoption or, you know, you're going to end up getting in trouble pretty much. And then once they gave me up, I just remember the house that the new home they put me into was even worse. And they had set this adoption up to where I, I ended up with a, with a single mom, you know, who wanted a child and she worked all the time and ended up putting me in like a private school where I was, you know, from way early in the morning till late at night. And one thing that you just should not do when you first adopt a child is just dive yourself into work Mm. and neglect, you know, your first year, especially with a new child, especially one that's nine years old. I would say if, if you're interested in adoption or fostering or anything like that, you have to take the time to bond with a child. And so my resentment really started coming through. And then things got really weird. And she started sexually abusing me. And at nine years old with such a, you know, a private concealed life, where I didn't watch TV. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I I didn't know anything. And I knew, you know, the, the facts of physical abuse and what that felt like, but this was just a whole different level of abuse. And I just, just was not sure what was going on. And so at that point I went through suicide attempts at a young age. I started, you know, cutting myself. I was the odd girl out at school because people made fun of me for being adopted, you know, which is crazy, but it happens. And it's just, it's so sad, you know, and then having to go home and deal with such an awkward, messed up situation, even more so after living with a family that I knew for six years. Like, they were still the only family I knew. Like, that was my family. 
Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they're gone, and now I'm in a whole new environment, hours away, and I just lost it. So that just was such a turning point for me, and resentment really started to build point. I can I can understand that. First off, I want to say I am so sorry that you ever had to go through that. It's a story that's similar to mine. And I strongly, firmly, vehemently, with every ounce of blood in my body, believe that no one should ever have to go through abuse in any kind, mental, physical, emotional periods, especially sexual, none of it. And I'm very sorry that you had to, like me, go through that. Right. And I'm really proud of how much of a survivor you are, you know, and I think that's not only a testament to, to your heritage, you know, we, we, as Russians are very strong individuals, but we, it's also a, a testimony to your adoption. Like we as adopted individuals are very resilient, you know, yeah. and there's a difference between being strong and being resilient. And I'm just, I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of who you were and the journey you went through to get to who you are today. And I'm proud of who you are now and the journey you're now on to get to who you want to become. And I, I feel like I say this in every interview, but I just, I really mean it. All of these stories, like, you know, I just see such resilience among the adopted community. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of them for themselves. Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot to un unpack with that. Before, you had mentioned about how your therapist said, well, she's getting old enough to talk. With your previous experience, because again, I understand 100%, with your previous experience being in an environment where you feel like you have to walk on eggshells and you feel like you can't, but being in an environment where you feel like you can't talk and you're developing your voice, were you finally able to use it during this time? Or were you afraid? No, I... I didn't know what to say. Right. And I was still very much afraid. I think it took me years mm -hmm. to find my voice. It took me years to even look people in the eyes. I was just so used to just being quiet and looking down and shutting up like about everything. And I was just terrified and confused. So it was very hard for me to say what was going on when I didn't even really know right. what to say at that point. And then there was also the fact that I, my social worker at the time was a female. Right. And her and my new mother ended up very close which made it worse. Yeah. So there was just, it felt like there was just no way out, no hope at that point. And I kind of just ended up having to make it a way out. And so that is where the fit throwing exploded. You know, there was no trust, no comfort. And so I did everything in my power to talk without talking. And that was by acting out. I get that. I, I, I fully understand like what you're, you're speaking, like, it's almost like I'm speaking to, cause I was born in 92 as well. 
Um, and it's like I'm speaking to a different version of myself. Oh my gosh. As well, because I, I just, everything you're saying, I a hundred percent understand. I a hundred percent really relate to, cause I, I experienced it as well. So let's talk about the journey that you went through lashing out into growing and what that kind of looked like. Now, for me, the way that I always describe my experience with school, being adopted, being bullied about adoption, and I would and and having self harmed and having ideations and you know being hospitalized and whatnot, um, I always yeah. used to say, and I still do to this day, that I was an outcast among the outcasts. The outcast didn't even want to associate with me because that's how yes. how weird I was in. Definitely. You know, or how weird I was deemed. So like, what kind of impact did that have on, what kind of impact did that have on you? And, you know, going through that uh, every day in, in high school and how did that affect you in your transition into adulthood, basically? It definitely had a huge impact in the way I went through my teenage years and into adolescence pretty much just by rebellion was a lot of it and then as i grew older i ended up getting heavily into drugs and alcohol unfortunately for many a year pretty bad you know so it was it was my only escape until I could come to grips with reality and just finally learn to accept and kind of like let go and use it, use my past as my strength instead of my weakness. So for me, sorry, I'm, I'm deeply thinking because it's like, I, I understand so much of your story and I, I just, I get it. Acting out, it's like you said, like you didn't know how to speak, so you spoke in a different way. And you almost spoke in a language that was known only to you, which was acting out. Because you knew why you were acting out, but others didn't. And, you know, it's not something that is easily explainable, because maybe you wouldn't be believed if you had tried to talk to someone. I know exactly what that feels like. In terms of, like, you know, going to going through with addictions, I mean you know, mine is, I I still have an addiction to this day based off of just everything that I had been through. And I have dabbled as well, like with what you're saying. So I totally understand it. What do you, what was the first point in which like you felt you needed a crutch where you felt like you couldn't deal with things and you didn't necessarily, I mean, I, I chose it because I was like, I don't know how to deal with things properly. Like I'm acting out, but I'm still not getting any help. I kind of acted out because I wanted help and no one was helping me. So I turned to other other mechanisms, alcohol, drugs, vaping, like, you know, I used to smoke yeah. cigarettes, but now it's just vaping. Yes. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would say when I was 14, I was in eighth grade. I, you know, finally had a cool group of friends, but I, I still was just dealing with so much trauma from my past that I and I hadn't fully healed and there was just so much I was still sad and upset about and so I started to smoke cigarettes and I became an alcoholic um, a heavy alcoholic at age 14 I was chugging vodka like it was water Um, (laughs) yeah yeah out of like water bottles it was like 
yeah, and then I ended up dabbling in marijuana, smoking weed, and acid, shrooms, you know, whatever I could get my hands on to just numb me was just my, I just, I didn't care. I was like, I'm invincible. I didn't, I, I didn't think anything was going to take me down. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd been through so much and I didn't care. Right. There was just no care in the world. And then by the time I was 16, I ended up trying meth and that destroyed my life for years. So what made you come out of it? Like, what was the thing for you that you were like, never doing it again, never touching it again? I'm on a new path now and I want to be on a new path. That's for me, when that sort of thing happens, like that is the first step to healing and and, and self-acknowledgement and understanding and looking at your life in a very different way. For me, it was honestly, if I'm being real, which no one knows, but it was shrooms. Shrooms made me really reconsider like everything I had been through. I was able to third person myself and look at everything and be like, that little child going through these things, it was not your fault. And it was almost like I was able to really understand that a lot of the things that had happened were a, a result of a feeling that I was going through or like not only the situation, but the way that I was viewing the world at the time. And that is solely because of shrooms. I think I would still be a very angry, not nice person if I had not done that. So for me, like that was a lifesaver. And I get what you're saying where you're like, I don't give two craps about myself. Like I'm going to do everything in the book because I'm invincible. Like nothing can touch me. You know, I, right. I totally, I totally get that. I really want to know what the what the turning point, what that moment was for you um, that you were like, that's it. I'm done. Oh. Ah, gosh. So I had my, my first child very young. I had him, well, I was 19, so I guess I wasn't too young, but I was still, I was still pretty young. Right. I had my first son and, you know, at that point I thought, okay, I'm done. But things just really had gone downhill when his father and I uh, separated. His dad ended up taking full custody because I just couldn't get on my feet. And I, you know, was living out of my car, sleeping in parks. And I went downhill again with drinking and going to bars all the time because I would make friends and find a place to sleep. And that was just my life. And I hated it. And so for a few years there, I, you know, just was living the worst of the worst type of life that I could have imagined when I had a son that needed a mother. And I felt like shit. I just wanted to be so much more for him. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't get myself out of this hole. Unfortunately, just when I thought I couldn't, you know, things couldn't get worse is generally when they do. And I ended up in a very, very abusive relationship with a guy where I ended up Drugs became a a thing again, and I, you know, spent every every living day with him in fear of my life. You know, he kept me hidden away from the world. I had mice as friends because I lived in just 
such a dump of a place. It was horrendous. And I had, when I had tried to get away, I went to Texas to try to live a better life um, with my best friend from eighth grade who had been living there. And she's like, come live, you know, in Texas with me. You know, you can go to college, all this stuff. I had no idea that she had other plans for me. And basically she was friends with a lot of pimps and wanted to be a pimp. And their whole plan was to get me over there. And I was put through human trafficking and I was put in survival mode. And, you know, I barely made it out of Texas in one piece. I think uh, when I came back from Texas, I got back together with my ex because he's the one that paid for the ticket. And I ended up becoming pregnant Mm. um, with his kid. And through the pregnancy, I, you know, I thought I was going to keep him. But after several attempts of my boyfriend at the time trying to murder me, even while I'm pregnant, I got out of that relationship. But I realized that the kind of guy he was, there would always be constant trying to run away. And I had to give my son up for adoption. And I think at that point, I was like, just no more. Like, I, I need to be better in life. And there has to be better in life was just my really big moment of like, you know, moving forward and going through that and trying to become a better person because of that. Again, like, just the amount of resilience that I see in you is insane. You know, the sex trafficking is something that not everyone does speak about. But it is something that adoptees can experience. And, you know, again, fucking horrendous. And it shouldn't be a thing, but life deals us certain cards and it deals us certain challenges. And I like to now believe that life doesn't put us through more than what we can handle, even though it feels like it sometimes. I always think we're meant to rise to the occasion and be a phoenix. Um, you know, you can either be a victim all your life or you can be the victor and, and try and make your own life and make it positive. That's heavy. Like, I did not, I got to be honest, I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, again, I've interviewed so many different stories and I, I've heard such horrible, horrible stories, but I did not expect that. From, especially, you know what it is? And I like, again, going even back to like your your first set of parents, adoptive parents. The amount of betrayal that is just felt, you know what I mean? Like these are people that you trusted and it's, it's very quickly realized that you can't trust these people. So like you said, you kind of go, you go into survival mode. Yeah. Even like a boyfriend, like a boyfriend is supposed to, you know, like not hurt you and not abuse you and everything like that. I mean, you, you survived almost being murdered. Yeah. You know what I mean? Again, like, I really think you need to give yourself credit where credit is 100 bajillion percent due, you know, so through all, I mean, I feel like this is just a fraction of your story 
Um, yeah. Like genuinely, like just a fraction. And I feel like there's, there's so much that I could genuinely talk about with you and just be like, keep going with your story because it's very empowering. And I feel like a lot of people need to hear what you have been through and how you have not only been through it, but you've gotten like, you've gotten through it on the other side in a way where it's no longer holding you down. It's only motivating you forward. And I know that you're, um, you're a writer and I think you said that this book, You Can Overcome Anything with Forgiveness, is like the 11th book in a series? Yeah, so I'm just the co-author in it, but it is where I, you know, have finally been able to share my piece and my story. I have my own chapter in there, and it really dives more into, you know, front to back my story And it is about the power of forgiveness. And I think that's really like the biggest stepping stone in my life when I was able to forgive my past and I was able to forgive myself and just forgive life in general. That's when I really move forward. And another thing, you know, that I... I really go by, which is a little quote that I like to say, is I wake up to win. And like if any of my friends or my sisters who are adopted or, you know, anybody's having a hard time and I say, you know, what are we going to do today? You know, we're going to win. And like someone asked me before, what are we winning? And I said, everything. We are, we are just winning no matter what it is. We're just, that's just a simple and as big of a statement all in one. We are just winning. And I just try to, you know, wake up with that moment every day and just, you know, I've gotten to today. I'm very lucky to even be alive today with so many near-death accidents that I've I've been through even as one as recently just a couple months ago I I was pregnant with my daughter and seven months I had gotten involved in a hit and run where a guy purpose purposefully reversed his car while I was out of mine right and hit me and I went flying you know and I have I mean, the doctors and everybody, nobody knows how I survived. Right. Survived that, you know, and I, I was like, and my baby survived too. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I, I have a purpose and I just, I keep holding on to that. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, like, I really think that again, all these near death experiences, because again, similar to my situation where I've had near death experiences that also made me believe that I have a, I have some sort of purpose. I, I'm not, it's not my time, you know? And I feel yeah. like you've come to that same sort of conclusion. I feel like you and I are very much on the same wavelength in life right now. And maybe it's because yeah. we're the same age, you know, we're not, we're not 20, we're not 15, we're not 13, we're, we're, above 30 you know what I mean and it's like we've gone through so much we've lived through so much and it's it's we've not only matured but we've over matured where it's like I make the joke like I'm not really 30 I'm I'm 300 
right. that, yes. that sort of life, you know, when, when you live through trauma, it ages you, you know, but the thing about trauma is like where people are like mirrors and when bad things happen, our mirror cracks and we try to tape it all back together. And that's, that's right. trauma, right? We're trying to fix, we're trying to just survive the trauma. And then when we're ready to heal, we pull out super glue and we glue the mirror back together. And it's still cracked, but for the most part, you can't really see the cracks because you know that they're there and you know, you know, I am cracked and things like that, but I've gone through a lot and I'm going to keep moving forward. And you can still look in that mirror and see your reflection through the cracks sort of deal. Yes. Sorry. I went on a little bit of a tangent, but I love it. I feel like you know what I'm talking about. So (laughs) I feel very personally attached to where it's like, there are these strings that are connecting us through just like the trauma, the trauma bond that we've just kind of explored together almost. So something I, I want to, again, I want to go into is like with your, with this novel that you've co-written, you obviously have a big focus on forgiveness, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, forgiving life, forgiving the situation, forgiving the things that are not in your control, but you know, things that you can learn from as a way to move forward. What do you, what are some recommendations that you can talk about and give us like an introduction to what that looks like, like the journey of forgiveness. If, if you, I'm trying to find a really good way to express it. I know what I want to say. It's difficult. (laughs) I mean, I, I would say one of the biggest things for me, my piece of advice would be to talk about it. You know, just talk about it to whoever you trust or, you know, it could be your closest friend, you know, learn to not be ashamed of it. And that really just helps kind of set you free. Because I feel like for me, over the years, when I didn't talk about anything, and I I didn't really share my story and I just kept everything just hidden and in this angry little bubble inside. That is when I felt the worst. And once I started expressing, you know, my life and what happened, I started becoming less ashamed of it. And then I just started feeling this wave of of freedom. And it was just like like there it goes, just letting it go. And suddenly things just started to feel better. And I was like, okay, okay. And then that is when I started feeling the strongest because then I started hearing myself and I was like, wow, okay. Like I, I did go through these things and I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm freaking strong. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, and it started becoming more of an empowering thing, you know, and I'm like, okay, like, let me talk about it. Let me talk about it to you. Let me talk about it to you. You're my dentist. You want to hear some crazy things? And then, you know, sometimes you just run into these people and it turns out they're like, thank you. Like, I was going through some stuff. And you just told me the story and like, I, 
I feel 10 times better because of hearing your story. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, that, and that's what it's all about is like, nobody should have to feel so alone because they go through some effed up things in life and they go through, you know, traumatic things because I feel like everybody goes through their own trauma, you know, whether it be big or small, I, you know, we should never, you know, push it to the side because, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's still trauma. It still should be talked about. It, sh- it still should be listened to and heard, you know, and everybody should have a voice and everybody should be heard. And I think that's really important is once you start talking about it, you open the door and the gateway for others too. And that's why I love what you do. And I think that is awesome and inspiring because that's really just such a good open door for people that have gone through trauma or, you know, whatever. And, you know, to put it out there for other people to be like, I, I, I can relate, you know, and create bonds through that, you know, and I think that that is beautiful. I think something else too, is like, you know, I wanted to obviously join this podcast because of what you just said. Like, I firmly believe that no one should have to go through these feelings alone, you know? And I guess something else for me as well is, is kind of like my life not only started opening up once, obviously I, I had that really big breakthrough, but I realized it opened up when I started really listening to myself about the different things that I had gone through, you know, not just necessarily telling my story, but listening to myself, tell my story, really hearing myself and internalizing it. And the more you, it's like you said, the more you talk about it, the more you, you understand, like, this is my story. This makes up who I am, you know? And like, shit, I'm a badass bitch. Like that's me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's beautiful. Right. Like it's a very empowering thing. And I guess like, that's really my hope is by doing these sorts of things, by asking like deeper questions and by having like real reflections upon the things we've been through, like, you know, we can find our own inner power within ourselves and move forward as adoptees within the adoptee community. So like, what is to like almost finish up the the interview? You know, what is one piece of advice that you would give other adoptees or just people who are listening to this episode? Just don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid to share and continue to wake up to win because you got this like, and no matter, no matter how horrible you think your story is, no story is horrible. I mean, I, I think that everybody story, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's what makes them beautiful and to continue to share and to put your voice out there, you know, and, and just keep winning in your life. Like, just don't give up because, you know, we're a community and, you know, to be adopted, I think no matter how tragic, I think it's awesome to, you know, have, other people to, you know, relate to and share to and bond with, you know, and like my my sisters are adopted and stuff. And we all have different, different backgrounds, different stories. But when you bring us together, it's, it's beautiful. So that would be my advice. I love that, honestly. So (laughs) I would like to thank you for joining me on this episode. Chats with Kat, a very special thank you to the guest 
Anya, thank you so much for being here, genuinely. Stay tuned for another episode of Chats with Cat every other Wednesday on the Voice of Adoptees podcast. Always remember, someone somewhere is thinking of you. You, not alone.